0: Welcome everybody to another edition of Bucky's Fifth podcast. Jake Kokorowski, Owen Reese here. Another week going by, another week closer to spring football. We'll talk uh, we actually got a lot of questions football related in our mailbag segment. I think it's going to take up the majority of our podcast. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. But again, like I mentioned, I am joined by my partner in crime for Bucky's Fifth podcast, Owen Reese. Owen, we got more snow, man.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm just trying not to think about it, to be honest. Not that makes, uh,
0: makes you wish you were back in Mobile, eh?
1: Man, it makes me dude, I'd rather be up in the press box sweating on eleven o'clock kickoff on September third than <laughs>
0: do this crap. That's true. It is, yeah, that for those that don't know, the press box at Camp Randall Stadium gets extremely warm during the uh, those do games in September.
1: Eleven o'clock kicks the the press box faces the east, so the sun's rising the whole way there. Like until like halfway through the second quarter, we're just sweating profusely. I am not small to begin with, so it's just not really a great situation to be honest.
0: And even if you are not small, uh, if you sweat profusely, which I will admit, maybe in the first ninety seconds of us of this show, um, yeah, it is not great. And I sweat a lot too, so yeah, it is. That is. It's not fun. So uh, I digress there. But it is, you're looking at, you know, we're, we're going to talk real quick. Talk about basketball. Wisconsin 64 58. Winners over Illinois swept the season series 15 in a row for this series right now. Wisconsin over Illinois. You saw a big game from Khalil Iverson. You know, uh, season high 16 points, nine rebounds. Brad Davison 18 points, 12 to 18 in the second half. And then. Reverend Pritzel six points with ten rebounds. You have a guard, a guard leading the game. He had a game high ten rebounds in that contest. And you know, you saw you know Ethan Happ on the bench for the last four minutes six seconds, which and this team still pulled out the win. I mean, before we move the football, you know, your quick thoughts as you wanted to touch base on the win uh, with Wisconsin now right in in you know right now fifth place. Heading into these final five games,
1: yeah, I think that's something to keep um, keep a track of here because I think that it's way easier to do that against like Illinois. You can kind of experiment it with it later in the year, but once you get into those tournament games, whether it's the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament, you have to depend on your best players. And it's really kind of a confounding situation with Hat because he's your best player, but also he can be your biggest detriment on the floor late in games. Wisconsin has struggled late in games this season uh, in particular against either teams as talented or more talented than Wisconsin is Uh, Michigan State. Excuse me, Michigan State, you saw that. And it's just one of those situations where you kind of live by the sword, die by the sword. I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, Greg Gard uses Ethan Happ late in ballgames because while he's your best player and he's your – most consistent offensive player, and from a uh, in an intangible a leadership standpoint and an experience standpoint, he brings a lot to the table. But at the same point, he I think I saw somebody, um, you know, I saw someone tweet something about like that. I, I can't remember exactly what the thing was, but or Michael Jordan or Big Cat from uh, Pardon My Take had interviewed Michael Jordan more times in the past two weeks than Ethan Happ had made a free throw. Um. And that's not good, uh, especially for someone that's going to go to the line as often as as Hap does with his style of play. So, as I said later in the year, I think this is a good opportunity for the, the Badgers to experiment with this a little bit. However, I think it's going to be a real uh, a nut cut in time for Coach Guard later in the year to see how he handles that in those big time games. Are you willing to take your team leader and your best player off the floor in the last couple of minutes? Uh it'll be interesting to see how they handle that.
0: Right. And I think it's one thing to realize too with that. He said after the game, it was because of the turnovers. It was not because of the free throw situation. That's according to Greg guard after the game uh, where he said that, and that is a bit, you know, that's, that's big there. And I do agree. You know, Hap, he is your best player on the court as sometimes the offense can get stagnant when, when he's there trying to drive and, and do his point guard and a point forwards body. But, you know, he also had three, I think it was three traveling calls against him, or at least three turnovers. And that the one that got him pulled for that final 406 led to a fast break and one opportunity, which tied the game. And so that's what pulled him there. And we all know for, and and we, you and know, I have talked about it, I believe, and we've had it on podcast before here on Bucky's Fifth Podcast, other episodes. But, this is a fact that Ethan Happ is, you know, he, I think people take him for granted for how good he is with his footwork. He is one of the most dynamic players you'll see in terms of footwork. Even when they, you know, that he's going, what his moves are, he still finds ways to score down low. Now, and he can rebound and he can also dish out the ball like no other big man that I've seen uh, when, since I've covered Wisconsin. That being said, he has troubles where he, he obviously free throws. He can't shoot outside of five feet from the rim, uh, from what it sounds from what it feels like. And also, you know, I mean, yeah, I said he can't hit threes, but also the turnovers. And so that's something they're going to have to deal with, uh, with, with this team, and we'll see what happens next year. Uh, but even before that, obviously, the next five games are going to be crucial for the Badgers. As I mentioned before, they are currently in fifth place and that they were tied for fourth with Maryland before Maryland beat Iowa last night we recorded on, on a Wednesday night for that matter but yeah they are sitting alone in fifth one game up on Iowa uh for the number 5 spot they are a half game behind Maryland currently for that four spot uh, and, and that double by in the Big 10 tournament which obviously those teams want. You have Michigan, Michigan State at 12 and 3 in the conference. You have Purdue at 12 and 3 out. Yeah, there's a three-way tie for first place. And then you have Maryland number 4. Now, looking at the the schedule and uh, before we get to the the football mailbag, what are your thoughts on these next five games? They're three away. Northwestern coming up on Saturday. Then they play at Indiana on the 26th. They have Penn State at home on the second, they have Iowa on the seventh. Those two are the home home games: Penn State and Iowa. And then they finish up the regular season on the on Sunday the tenth, on the road at Columbus against the Buckeyes. Uh, what are your thoughts heading into these matchups? You know, Ken Palm has like these projections where they're looking like they you know they could win all five games, which if they do, would be mightily impressive. But uh, you know, especially at the end of the season and how they've played, but. You know, I I feel there's one game here that could potentially throw them off. I think Ohio State's a big one, especially away and at Columbus to end this end the season. I even think Indiana might be an interesting one too, with how they're playing. Uh, I mean, and, and, and granted, they felt they've fallen off a lot. Where uh, I think if they've lost one of their last eleven or yeah, they've won one of their last 11, I should say. And that was against Michigan State back on February 2nd, but I, it should be a really interesting end to the regular season, especially if they want to catch that double bye and be in the top four in the conference.
1: Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing to watch here. Is is and I think it's also notable, um, Maryland's schedule is significantly harder to end the season than, than Wisconsin. I believe Maryland plays Michigan twice. In the last five
0: games? Let me take a look real quick. Uh, Let's see, Maryland. Um, Yeah, Yeah, Maryland plays uh, Michigan once, and that's on the third. But they also play Ohio State and Minnesota. Uh, Let me see if Michigan State. Let me check out Michigan State's remaining schedule. Michigan State has to play Michigan twice. They have to play um, on the 24th and then on the 9th. So, yeah, that's going to be a big matchup.
1: So, yeah, I think between that, um, that matchup with Maryland potentially uh, dropping, I think it's huge, obviously, if the Badgers are able to win out and Maryland falls there to Michigan. I think there's two games in particular that really, really, um, really scare me. Excuse me, if you're you're Wisconsin. So, at Northwestern, I'm not real concerned about. At Indiana, does. Uh, That's a game that's a – it always seems that – Good Badger teams always lose one game that they shouldn't. That I remember uh, was it Alando Tucker in the the Final Four or the excuse me the Elite Eight season versus or when they lost to North Carolina they lost to like North Dakota at home or something weird like so there's always some weird game Indiana it's a tough environment regardless of how Indiana is playing they have Romeo Langford who will be an NBA lottery pick. They can be dangerous. Uh, that's a game that I wouldn't put past. They almost just beat. They lost to Purdue on a tip in. Uh, they held Purdue to under fifty points. That's going to be a tough game. Home versus Penn State. Penn State's definitely. I saw. I think it was John Crispin from the Big Ten Network said that Penn State's like easily the best worst place team he's ever seen in a Power Five conference. Um, but I think that that's a game that Wisconsin should pretty easily win. Iowa is the other game because while at Ohio State could be tough at that point, um, both teams, are I think, are going to have a pretty good opportunity to, to see where they stand as far as going into the conference tournament. Iowa, though, is a really scary team because they're a team that, to me, is kind of a victim of playing in the Big Ten. And, and I how I mean that is that Iowa is a more talented team than they get credit for because they're in a tough league. And the teams in the league know how to play Iowa. Uh, but I saw someone said, I think it was um, – might have been Crispin as well, that teams outside of the Big Ten are not going to want to play Iowa. They play they they kind of present a lot of odd matchup problems for teams that the teams in the Big Ten can kind of deal with because they're familiar with. But Iowa's going to get into the, the uh, NCAA tournament, and they're going to beat somebody they probably shouldn't. Uh, and that's the game that scares me. They've got Bohannon, the shooter, um, and any team that can intentionally start a guard that wears number 51 is either really bad or, or really scary, and I, was, I know they're not bad. So um, that Byer kid, uh, is, is, he's been around for a long time. He's, he's a good player, and Iowa is a team that scares me. That wouldn't surprise me at all if that's a, a loss for Wisconsin, and it's not necessarily a, a sky is falling moment, but um, Iowa's a tough team, um, shoot well from outside, and, and that's, a game, I think, a game that could really – Right. I mean, talking about the,
0: the Hawkeyes, too, they had the two buzzer beaters pretty much against Northwestern and Rutgers before their loss to Maryland uh, yesterday on Tuesday. So, uh, but they had, you know, two consecutive buzzer beaters there, uh, which was obviously that could have really influenced the season if they lost either the Wildcats or Scarlet Knights. But they, alas, they did, they did not. And they sit, and another scary part about it, too, they are, like we mentioned before, they are right behind Wisconsin. So uh, judging from the others that are ahead of Wisconsin, I would say Purdue might have the easiest schedule from what I saw. But again, like I said, there are no easy, really no easy wins in the big 10, in my opinion, because you've seen what Penn state can do. You've seen with, with Michigan, you've seen obviously other teams like Rutgers giving teams trouble. So I think, yeah, this is going to be a really interesting, end of this regular season and what even happens in the tournament, especially with Illinois, Illinois, uh, with what they've done, uh, they're coming in before the loss to Wisconsin, having that ability to win four in a row and then five of their last six, including beating Michigan state. So I, uh, and, and I think it was also Maryland too at MSG. So this team, you know, that team, I, I gave a lot of praise in my takeaways post too, just because this team is different from what Wisconsin played in Champaign uh, earlier this year, and I think that Brad Underwood has his team playing really well. And Greg Gard mentioned it mentioned it after the game, talking about this Illinois squad's the most improved team that he's seen on film uh, so far this year. So, like I said, this is there. There are going to be no easy outs in the Big Ten tournament. I feel, and we're just going to have some. Uh, we'll have to see what happens, and we're you know we'll see where the cards fall. On that note. Now, looking into mailbag uh, stuff, we're going to kind of transition. Before we do that, you know what? Let's take a,
1: a lot of mailbag questions today. Yeah, lots the
0: of the mailbag questions. You want? Know Let's take a quick break. Come back. Stay tuned just for a minute on this break. We'll get back right back to you here on Bucky's Fifth Podcast.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and
0: with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back here on Bucky's fifth podcast. Jake Okorowski, Owen Reese. Here on this Wednesday evening, we'll get this up later tonight, but it is mailbag time. And we got, thank you guys, by the way, for that. Owen and I are really uh, impressed by, got 11 questions here, which is a lot of fun. And we're going to try to get to all of them, uh, hopefully in the next half hour. Uh, try to keep these quick and kind of not that rapid fire, but just quick enough to keep it going. Because you guys, we want to make sure we answer all the questions that are out there. Uh, and uh, let's start off quick. Owen with Zach the Great uh, gave us a couple of questions. First one, in the next four years, will Ohio State be hurt by, as he refers to a as, slimy Urban mire, leaving the Buckeyes as far as recruiting? Now, and he asks a question that will be kind of almost like a follow-up when it comes to the head coaches in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, but Ryan Day, of course, is the new Ohio State head coach. He coached the the games that urban Meyer was suspended for during the 2018 season. Uh, When it comes to, it is going to hurt. I think to maybe a very small extent, the name of urban Meyer with how he can recruit is very good. And you combine that with the name of Ohio state, the brand of Ohio state. I think that was a very formidable program in terms of recruiting. Now, I will say you go to the 2020 class and they've held on, they have seven commits for the 2020 class and one in the last month, uh, which is Jacob Jacobs or Jacob James, I should say, uh, out of Ohio. But the, but he's held on to the other four commits that are there. And so I think, or the other six commits that uh verbally pledged, earlier than that. So I think that's a good I think it's a good indication of, of the uh, the recruiting power Ohio State has but also what Ryan Day could bring. And we'll see what comes of it down the road. Of uh, obviously Owen, but I think there might be a little bit of a drop off, but not a lot that would hurt them to a substantial degree where they'd fall off uh, as being one of the conference's best. So I, I what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Ohio State's a brand, like you said. They're Ohio State recruits itself at this point. Obviously, having someone like Urban Meyer, who is as accomplished um, as a football coach and as a recruiter at the head of that ship, makes it go probably a, a bit quicker, smoother sailing. But Ryan Day was on staff there. I don't think. I mean, he was basically Urban Meyer's number two. So I don't think there's much of a transition there. I don't. To, I mean, to keep it short, I, I no, I don't think they'll be hurt. Ohio State could <clears throat> Ohio State could clean house on their entire program and have a top 10 recruiting class. Ohio State is Ohio State. It, it is what it is. It sells itself. It's kind of like Notre Dame or, or any of these other schools that have been so good for so long that, you know, they have such a rabid fan base and those kids grow up. They just, they, all they want to do is be Buckeyes, you know, so that's, and it's not a ton different than Wisconsin, but it's kind of on a different level. Ohio State's a big deal. They're the ones consistently competing for national championships. They're the ones that are constantly in the top 10 or top five in recruiting. I don't really think that that Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer um, will hurt them at all. I guess the only thing to be seen, and this is pure speculation, and we have nothing behind this, and very well nothing could happen. If there were to be any type of backlash or any type of um, – Repercussions from the whole Ryan Smith thing, or Zach Smith, the coach, excuse me, um, that re- the receiver coach with, with Urban Meyer. I mean, maybe like any type of sanctions, but I, I doubt it. And, and as far as Ryan Day's ability to recruit or the Ohio State brand being able to recruit itself, they'll be just fine. That they're that program's on autopilot at all times, and, and they're going to re- they're going to re- remain the best recruiting school in the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, I, I agree on that end and. Uh, It heads us in our next question. Uh, Zach asks on on a side note, rank the big 10 coaches. And I mentioned to you in our notes before this could take a while, but we're going to try to keep within a couple minutes. I'll let you lead off first uh, and you have a good way of breaking down the coaches. Let, let the folks know uh, how you break broke them down.
1: Yeah. So I did them in four tiers, right? So there's 14 coaches in the big 10 and we kind of talked about this a bit off air. There's none, like no coaches in the big 10 are bad uh, at this point over the last four to five years. Probably what you would consider the bottom half of the conference or the lesser schools, lesser known, lesser popular have all vastly improved their coaching staffs. So that's been something to watch. So I've busted them into four tiers um, and I'll kind of walk through them pretty quick. I I don't uh, have a ton of like super strong convicted takes, on a lot of these uh but this is kind of where i see them and and how i would rank them so in the first tier i have jim harbaugh from michigan paul chris from wisconsin and james franklin from penn state uh i think jim harbaugh is i mean the most accomplished uh, coach excuse me uh in the big 10 and some people like him some people don't some people are annoyed by him uh whatever the case may be He's, and and at least to me, he's the best coach in the Big Ten. That's not a knock on anybody else. I just have a higher opinion of Jim Harbaugh than a lot of people do because I think a lot of people like to dislike him and a lot of people confuse not liking them with someone not being good at their job, which are two different things. So um, Harbaugh, Kristen, and then James Franklin to me. Franklin up there mostly for his recruiting ability, uh, and and he's a good motivator, but he's nothing um, transcendent as like a – play caller or as as an offensive or like a schematic coach but he's a very effective recruiter and he has Penn State competitive every year so um that's it to me. The second group the second tier is the biggest tier uh and I have Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern, Kirk Ferentz from Iowa, Mark Dantonio from Michigan State, Brian Brom or Jeff Brom, excuse me. Uh <laughs> Jeff Brom from uh from Purdue, PJ Fleck from Minnesota and Scott Frost from Nebraska. Uh, Kind of a conflicting group here because you've got some of the longstanding Ferentz and D'Antonio, and then you've got some of the young guns, um, Fitzgerald, Fleck, Brahman, and and Frost, I believe, all under 40. And a lot of those guys, uh, you saw last year, I think Frost inherited a pretty tough situation with Nebraska going through all these coaching turnover, and they were more dangerous than they probably should have been. I expect Nebraska to be a huge competitor in the Big Ten West within a year or two. P.J. Fleck obviously just led Minnesota to a bowl game, and and they beat Wisconsin, uh, breaking that 14-game winning streak for that. He's got them pointed in the right direction. Jerry Kill, not a big fan of P.J. Fleck, and frankly, neither am I as a person, but he's an effective football coach, and and the success there you can't really argue with. The third tier of coaches I have uh, in the Big Ten is Ryan Day, who we mentioned, Ohio State's new head coach. He's a good recruiter. Uh, the reason he's probably not higher in this list is because simply he hasn't had much of an opportunity to be a, a head guy before. He was the head coach for the three games that Urban Meyer was, quote unquote, suspended uh, for this past season. But he's been in the program for a while. Like I said, he was Urban Meyer's number two guy, a well-regarded coach. And I think he's a good recruiter. And I think that Ohio State uh, isn't going to miss a beat with Ryan Day as their head coach. Uh, next, I have Chris Ash at Rutgers, Lovey Smith from Illinois, and Mike Loxley from Maryland. Uh, Lovey Smith gets a bad rap. I think Illinois was probably a m- middling at best group of five level team when he took over there. Um, Illinois was in a lot worse shape than a lot of people realized. And you're starting to see some of that come to fruition now coming into his fourth year. A lot of people expected Lovey Smith, this NFL head coach, to come in and win immediately. Uh, I don't think it's any indictment on him. Um, simply a lot of the issues. Illinois has had as far as scholarship talent and older players a lot of turnover there uh, coming from that new coaching regime so I think he's there Chris Ash is starting to get Rutgers turned around it, it's not always tangible or you see them they'll still get boat raced by Ohio State or somebody else but Chris is a good football coach um, and if Rutgers gives him some time uh, the big 10 East is it's a tough deal I, he's really realistically playing for like fifth place every year but but he's doing a good job with Rutgers I think and they're getting better um, and then Mike Loxley returns to Maryland. He was the interim head coach at Maryland when the Badgers played them three years ago, or Joe Schobert's senior year, how long that yep. ago that was already. Um, and and he, was, he did a good job there, uh, went to New Mexico, uh, kind of bombed out there, ended up as the offensive coordinator at Alabama, and now is back in Maryland, uh, a bit of a prodigal son returning, taking over for the, the mess that DJ Durkin left there. And uh, Loxley has just had success at Alabama as the OC. And I think he's done a good job there already. Uh, Maryland kids like him. I think it returns a bit of stability to that program that they haven't had, uh, obviously, since the beginning of last year, or, or kind of beginning with the, uh, the unfortunate death of Jordan McNair there. Um, and then in the fourth tier, I have uh, University of Indiana coach Tom Allen. Uh, I, I don't have – this isn't by no means like any type of – uh, indictment of him. I just don't think that he's at the level of of the big the rest of the big Ten coaches which is again um, I have a lot of respect and a lot of admiration for all the coaches in the Big Ten. Um, and, and Allen's a good defensive coach and Indiana's been tough they they gave Ohio State everything they wanted on opening night a couple years ago and, and they're always a threat to uh, threat to compete against those bigger schools in the Big Ten East. Again, they're in a bit of the same category as Rutgers, where it's tough to see anything in the the near future where Indiana or Rutgers truly compete uh, for the in, for anything in the Big Ten East. Kind of Maryland's along those same lines, but they're good football programs in very tough uh, conference in a very tough division of a tough conference. So um, that's how I would rank them. Like I said, I don't have super strong, convicted takes. On this, other than probably that, I think Harbaugh is probably the best coach in the Big Ten. You could probably talk me into to Chris or Franklin being able to to push for that. Like I said, and then that second tier of uh, Fleck, Frost, D'Antonio, Ference, Fitzgerald, um, and Jeff Brom are all very fluid, and and like I said, you could probably talk me into most of those guys fitting into almost any order there. So um, the Big Ten is loaded with coaches. I yeah, don't let anyone tell you different. And um, yeah, the, I mean, there there are no easy games in the Big Ten. Uh, some of the, sometimes the scores don't always indicate that, but but there's no lack of coaching ability or coaching talent uh, at the head of any of these Big Ten programs.
0: Yeah, and, and just to uh, just to confirm too, yeah, Loxley came to Maryland from uh, 2012 to 2015. He was the head coach at New Mexico from 2009 to 2011. Uh, before he, like I said, he kind of uh, he uh, was fired, and then. Uh, he, or was it? Yeah. He, I'm just making sure he was fine. I believe that. Yeah, he was. And so, um, yeah, he basically returned to play at Maryland, uh, to join Randy Edsel staff. And then, like you mentioned, uh, that 2015 season after Edsel was let go, he became the interim coach. And so, uh, you know, and just for, for time really for us, um, I won't get into mine, but I think you hit yours right on the head. I think that's a good, I think it's a great way to rank them. I think it's a good way to organize them. So kudos to you, my good man uh, for, for that. Uh, Next question uh, from Zach again, not too early predictions, but what are your toughest home game and away game for 2019? I'll say for me, Michigan at home right now would be a big one. Uh, I think that'll be the toughest one. You see Jim Harbaugh's team, you know, Team again reloading, the non-conference schedule isn't really obviously so they have Central Michigan and Kent State. I think Kent State will be interesting because one that's former Wisconsin tight end Sean Lewis leading that program. He's the head coach at Kent State. He comes from the Dino Babers coaching tree. So that that fast-paced tempo-based spread look, uh, which obviously gets a lot of points for Syracuse, uh, and also when they're at Bowling Green. When Bowling Green came to Camp Randall a couple years back, he was an assistant there uh, before going to Syracuse and then taking over Kent State. Uh, Though Wisconsin should handle them pretty well, uh, I would say there. But I would say, I mean, they have Michigan State coming, which could be another candidate. But right now I'll say Michigan. And I'm just trying to think if there's anyone in the division. Uh, Purdue should be interesting as well. Rondale Moore, but they're also losing the the Sindelar back. But David Blau's out; uh, he's gone to the NFL. And then Iowa should be interesting. But really, I, it goes back to me, Michigan. And then the toughest away game, I think you could either put. I think it's obviously. I think the the top ones, Ohio State, just due to the fact that Justin Fields was granted that year to that that waiver to play immediately. I think that's a huge thing. obviously because uh, you know they're the Tate Martell, the other quarterback transferred to Miami. So fields looks like he is the guy with Dwayne Haskins going to the NFL. And then on top of that, it's Ohio state. It's at the horseshoe. That's going to be a tough game to play. Uh, Nebraska though. I think this could be the year that they take home the freedom trophy for the first time ever. I think it's going to be a big game, uh, obviously for the division. And, but I think Scott Frost with Adrian Martinez it's year two. I expect, uh, you saw how they progressed last, you know, that year. You saw what Adrian Martinez could do. I, I have a feeling that that's going to be a tough interdivisional game. Uh, what are you, what are yours though?
1: Yeah. Uh, Ohio. Well, one, I think the easy one, the low hanging fruit, Ohio state. I mean, that's somewhere. Wisconsin's traditionally struggled. Wisconsin is never the more talented team in that game. And. The way with Ohio State's crowd really can, can affect communication along the offensive line and stuff, it really comes down to whether or not Wisconsin's going to be able to throw the ball. Uh, I think Wisconsin's defense is going to um, be better this year than they were last year, uh, and I think they'll be able to hold some teams at bay. But that Ohio State game kind of eerily hangs in the balance there uh, right away. And then um, the home game, yeah, I mean, like I said, not to, to take yours, but, but Michigan as well. I mean, they're, they they put a whip in on Wisconsin this year uh, and, and don't think that Paul Christ forgets that um, from his good friend, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, they're tight. They go back a long way coaching together. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. I, don't, I, I rarely think that Wisconsin's outcoached in almost any game that they play, but they're certainly outmanned in some, and I think those are the two that are going to really press the issue there. But to your point about Nebraska, Adrian Martinez is going to be like the scariest player in the Big Ten this upcoming year. He was dynamic, uh, to say the least this year without much of a returning or without much of a supporting cast. Excuse me. Um, they got a couple NFL guys that are losing in Divine Ozigbo and Stanley Morgan and Maurice Washington, uh, just has some legal issues going on, uh, right now. So he'll be gone as well, but that Adrian Martinez, arguably the most exciting um, and probably the most dynamic player in the Big Ten this upcoming season, including Jonathan Taylor. So um, Nebraska, probably my sleeper to, to compete for Wisconsin with the Big Ten West, um, could even win the division, really.
0: Yeah, and and that kind of goes into um, – you know what? Let's go real quick to – we'll get to the one right now for – which kind of leads in talking about that. I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, Oh, geez. I just, there we go. As I, right now I'm going off my agenda and I screwed up there. There we go. From Kay Rudolph saying, which big 10 West teams look like the most improved in 2019 can Northwestern repeat. Does Nebraska look improved? And I think the most I think you hit on the head with Nebraska. I think we all expect them to take a better leap. Uh, I think they'll give teams more trouble. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting for Wisconsin. I think the whole quarterback situation is going to be very intrigued. I think they're going to be improved in the sense with the defense, even though they're losing Conley and TJ Edwards and then, you know, Dakota Dixon. I think there's enough experience for other guys stepping in at certain positions where outside of outside linebacker, which I still have a huge question mark about. I think the rest of the defense will be fine. And then offensively you reach, I'm even though the line, you know, four fifths of the starting line, Will be gone. You still have ample replacements. All that have some. Um. All that have experience. So I. I think Wisconsin could take a step forward. Quarterback's a big, big thing in my head. On that note, but uh, you know, talking about Northwestern, you know they're getting Hunter Johnson, who, you know, was, ESPN rated him as a top-rated quarterback in the nation. Um. In in you know a four four-star quarterback. And whatnot, I think that's huge. There, as um, a four or five star quarterback, I'm not, so I, apologies for not knowing off the top of my head, though. But I think Northwestern ha, will now have a quarterback, a dynamic quarterback potentially. We'll see how their running game develops and just Hunter how. Was, was that
1: Hunter Johnson was a five star quarterback? Oh,
0: yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, F, yeah. Just apologies for the four star, but you know he was. Uh, you know, obviously that's the big name quarterback there. Um, I also feel, I think Nebraska, we talked about it before. Nebraska has the ability to compete. Purdue is not going anywhere as well. Uh, and, and, you know, Jeff Brom is, it wasn't Brian Brom, by the way. Brian Brom is the former Packers quarterback that uh, is now his assistant. I think he's his assistant now at Purdue. But, yeah, Jeff Brom has this team, and he turned down Louisville, which was his hometown program. I think Purdue. You don't look away from them as well. So, it, I think this. It, uh, there, are, I think there are a lot of teams that could improve. I think Nebraska, Northwestern. I think with the quarterback situation will improve. Nothing again Clay. Cl- nothing against Clayton Thorson, but uh, I think there's obviously the talent level that Johnson has is huge. And then Nebraska. Uh, and I th- gosh, Purdue is another one. So uh, I would even say maybe Minnesota, the way that they played the last six games of the year last season, especially what they did against Wisconsin without Wisconsin in Wisconsin. I think those are, uh, I think the big 10 West is heading up and it's going to be tougher for Wisconsin to claim the division.
1: Yeah, man, I I'll just give a little, a quick take here on each team, but the big 10 West is getting better. Um, That's been a fun, cute little Twitter narrative joke. Uh, about the Big Ten West um, and, and, and Wisconsin kind of being separate from that. They're all getting better. Uh, I would say probably Illinois is the only team in the Big Ten West that doesn't really have a chance to compete this year. And they're continuing to improve. Um, I just don't think that they're going to uh, take a leap over anybody in front of them. So I think Iowa is going to struggle a bit offensively. Nate Sandley will be there. He'll be a senior. Uh, they return a lot of guys, but they're losing Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, who could both be first-round picks as tight ends. They really haven't shown to have a wide receiver that's dynamic uh, or or really be, uh, be a difference maker. So I think that they could even struggle a bit, um, despite them probably having the most talented defensive player in the conference, in A.J. Epinesa, uh, probably a likely first-round pick in the 2020 draft as a defensive end. So Illinois-Iowa, Purdue – uh, they'll compete. They'll be very tough. I struggle to see how they will compete truly for, like, a championship in the Big Ten West as long as they, their quarterbacks are who they are. Uh, Elijah Sindler split time with David Blau a couple of years ago. I just don't know how they're going to do. They lose DJ Knox. Uh, obviously, they bring back Rondale Moore, who is uh, as dynamic as almost any player in the country. So Purdue will be tough. They'll be in the mix. Uh, but I, I kind of see some of the other programs uh usurping them a bit northwestern as you mentioned with the hunter johnson kid they returned the bowser kid at running back bennett skaronic is one of the better receivers returning in the big 10 patty fisher is still there on defense they lose gaziano and Montre hardage but still a talented team and pat fitzgerald always has them ready to go uh very rarely lay an egg or come out flat so northwestern always be in every game because of that then you've got minnesota and as much as Badger fans don't want to hear this, P.J. Fleck has them moving in the right direction. They have a lot of talent. They were very young a year ago. Uh, they have the best receiver in the Big Ten coming back, uh, or at least in the Big Ten West, in Tyler Johnson, uh, who's a very, very good player. If they can get, find a quarterback to uh, get him the ball. Um, like I said, they they kind of put it to Wisconsin. Last year, physicality, uh, Phys- well, in, in the physicality department, they really beat Wisconsin, and and that's something where while I expect Wisconsin to bounce back next year, uh, at least not to be outplayed that thoroughly, um, certainly a, a more of a reflection on the, the direction that P.J. Fleck has that Gophers program going in. Nebraska is going to be tough. They're not going to be able to stop a soul, but Adrian Martinez is going to put up a lot of points. They'll have a future NFL receiver in J.D. Spielman. Uh, again, one of the more talented players in the country at that position. So, Adrian Martinez is going to run around, scramble around, be athletic, and throw bombs. And Spielman will be there to catch him. Had over, believe it was over 200 yards receiving against Wisconsin yep. this year. Yep. Um, despite the multi-score win for Wisconsin, so Nebraska is <laughs> going to be pesky. They're going to be there, and then you've got Wisconsin, um, who is kind of, you know, slow and steady, always the same, really similar to Iowa that way where you know exactly what you're going to get. They just have to execute. And that that sounds really simplistic, but that's kind of where they're at. Wisconsin's going to stop the run and they're going to run the ball and everything that they everything they want is completely contingent on the passing game both if they can stop the pass and if they can throw the ball. And it, for my money, Wisconsin is still the most talented, still the best team in the Big 10 West. They're the best program in the Big Ten West, but like you saw a year ago, it doesn't take much. That margin for error is getting much, much thinner than it was only a couple years ago. And that's going to be moving forward is that it probably five five to six teams could have a legitimate claim to say, no, I think we're the best team in the Big Ten West, and here's why. And then you've got Illinois. So yeah. who's also improving? So probably a huge cop-out for that answer but really they're all going to be improved to be honest uh the 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 floor is right rising in the Big Ten West I wouldn't say the ceiling is dropping but the floor is definitely rising uh and and there are no more cupcakes in the Big Ten West and that's something I think you'll see again this year where you'll continue to see uh added parity from the bottom of the division to the top
0: And then looking ahead, uh, as we get about another three to four questions, we'll, we'll make these quicker. Uh, Don Money has asked, uh, he says, I will go with the obvious. What's up at quarterback? Is Alex Hornibrook back and ready to compete? And how soon will Graham Mertz be taking first team reps? Thanks to Don for that. And we've talked about it before, so I'll go ahead and answer this one. And, and you've talked about it before, too, where you feel if Alex Hornibrook is back and healthy, he will be the starter. I agree. I've agreed with that. And he is, and we were the first ones to break it too. uh, to, you know, on the interwebs on twitter.com that a UW official told me a couple weeks ago that he was participating in winter conditioning with the team. So that's huge because obviously he had those symptoms related to the head injury that plagued him the last part of the season where, and, and it cost him, Time in the Pinstripe Bowl against Miami, where Jack Cohn had to burn his red shirt to play in his fifth game. In that win, but he is back in the sense of participating in winter conditioning. And for your second question, how soon will Graham Mertz be taking first team reps? That I mean that that's dependent upon what Alex Hornibrook does. That's what dependent upon what Jack Cohn does as well. Uh, where I think it's going to be between Hornibrook and Cohn if Hornibrook is still if he. Shows he's healthy and is competing. Uh, you also have other guys like Danny Vandenboom and Chase Wolf for that matter. Uh, I think Chase Wolf, I'm not saying is a dark horse, but I would I like I want to see what he does. He's got a live arm from what I saw in Fall Camp. We didn't see much of him thereafter, uh, because practices were closed after the first two weeks of Fall Camp for the rest of the year. But I like uh, I liked his arm and he, I mean, uh, he could spin it. However, so I, think, I guess I should say it's one part it's dependent upon obviously everybody else that's been there ahead of Mertz. The big thing with – there's a transition to the college game from high school, and he looked really good in that All-American Bowl. Looked great with those five touchdown passes, and before Spencer Radler on that last drive of the game broke the passing yards record of Mertz's, You know he had that record too. But Mertz looked really solid in that game, but it was just a game – Okay, with a high, an all star game where even though they had four or five star kids, they couldn't blitz. They, there are some defensive, um, you know, they couldn't do certain things on defense. So, uh, along with the jump, and we've had those expectations pieces we've put up in late December about Graham Mertz. It's going to take, you know, I think really my expectations are he goes in spring ball, some baby steps moving forward. You'll see some growing pains. I think you also see that some of that talent with that the, the arm and and having some playmaking ability. However, you know I think he gradually improves, and I think in fall camp you'll start seeing him maybe competing for reps. I'm not saying he's going to start, but obviously I don't. And it's hard to say when you have not seen a kid play college football, and spring ball is even harder because this is the time of the year we'll have, which in, in late March when this gets started, that really it's instructional. You can slow the game down. You can go through the playbook a little bit more, work on fundamentals, work on smaller things. And that in fall camp, that's when you have to take that that leap forward and then take what you learned in spring, and then sh- you have a lot more playbook thrown at you and a lot more to digest. So I, I think he'll answer the call. I think that's my prediction. But then again, like I said, we don't know yet Uh, in terms of taking first team reps. It really depends on how he progresses and how he digests the playbook. But really, too, it's how the guys in front of him that have been there longer really have that, you know, how they can progress in spring ball and how they make it even more of a competition. So uh, thanks, Don, for that. Uh, You know, going real quick to Neil uh, uh, Neil Olsen, obviously one of our Lucky Smith, quarter contributors. Love, Neil. Uh, A lot of great basketball knowledge. Hey, guys, big fan. Jonathan Taylor has had a ton of carries his first two seasons. Any chance those get spread out more this fall? Uh, Owen, I'll let you take this one, brother.
1: Yeah, so I think probably if you're like – if you're John Taylor, you probably hope so. Uh, (laughs) No, I I think – so – Taylor's had close to 300 carries the last two seasons. That's a lot. Heading into the 2019 season, I think it's beneficial for both the offense and Taylor if that gets spread out a bit. Wisconsin in the past has become fairly predictable as far as personnel groupings go with Taylor in the game, and it's pretty simple. Like If he's in the game, they're going to run. So. I think that would help to spread that out a bit. And the other thing, it just keeps him fresher, which is like, seems like such an obvious thing. But when you got guys like Garrett Groshek, who I've said in the past, probably gets the ball more than I would give it to him. But between he and Bradrick Shaw, and you saw it with Taiwan Deal last year, there are other capable players on the football team to run the football. And I think it could just be one of those things where it will make Taylor a bit more effective if he has 20 carries a game instead of 30. Um, He's a home run hitting back, so that that dynamic is always there. But I think they should spread it out a, a bit more. Obviously, he's still your best player, and you still need to feature him. But I think if the Badgers can throw the ball a bit more effectively as well, which might seem obvious, but, like, the less run plays you have, the less he's going to get the ball. But I think that can help a ton. I think if you can throw the ball 25 times a game and rush it 40 and Taylor gets 25 of those 40, I think you're probably in business. So I think that would be good um, for him to spread that out, and I think they'll, they'll attempt to do that uh, the this year. Um, back to Don's question, very quickly, Alex Hornerbook's going to be the starter. <laughs> um People don't want to hear that, but unless Cohen or Mertz come in and like set the world on fire, coaches crave consistency and stability. And you know exactly what you're going to get out of Alex Hornerbrook. He's a four year starter. going to be if he starts this 2019, he'll be a four year starter, and he's got by, by miles more experience than any other quarterback on the roster. As far as the first team reps thing goes. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see Graham Mertz get some first-team reps during camp or during spring ball for the sake of getting his feet wet. So he's getting snaps with Tyler Biotish, and you're getting – a lot of times people – quarterback's are odd dynamic because when you're like third-string quarterback, you're practicing with the third-string skill guys, and that's not always a great uh, way to gauge how well you're playing, uh, if that makes sense. A lot of times it's, it's tough to see guys – play well when they're not with the with the ones, which is kind of weird because you have to take guys out of the ones to get other guys in to get reps there. But that's it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them get Mertz in with the ones. Uh but I I'm still going with the standpoint I would be absolutely floored if Alex Hornabrook isn't the starter going into twenty
0: nineteen. Yeah I mean I, I think if he, the big thing is his health and if he stays with everything and, and obviously if he continues to show that i think his consistency i know i just rambled i think the big thing with him is like i said showing improvement being consistent like you mentioned health wise but also i think his leash is going to be incredibly shorter this year compared to last year so especially with kong going into his third year you have denny vandenboom which you can't make the sample size off of his game experience last year but what you saw in fall camp, I thought he looked pretty good. Spring ball too, I thought he made some good progressions as a second year player. We'll see what he does as a third year coming up. Like I said, ne- next month during spring ball. Uh, but you know, in, in Mertz, you know, I think you hit on the head too with the first team reps. I think, uh, it'd be, I think, I think definitely in fall camp you might see, might see more. Then again, like I said, I want to see what others are doing at the position too. Um, going real quick, let's see. We got. Those two knocked out just a couple more before we let you guys go here on Bucky's fifth podcast. And thanks again, by the way, 11 questions is phenomenal. It's fantastic because we're trying to build a community here and you guys are asking these questions and we're giving our, our best try our our answers here. So we appreciate you guys listening in Uh, before we get to Evo's question. We'll end it on that because I think that would end the show quite well. If you agree Owen. on that note, but Bill Feller asks a couple questions and I'll, I'll get this one out of the way Just because we asked UW and we're still waiting to hear back. So we'll f- circle back on this. He asked who were the scout team, offensive and defensive players of the year last year. We tried to look back online. I did not see anything and I've asked UW to clarify uh, a UW official to clarify. Once we hear back from there, we will let you know ASAP on that. So thanks Bill on uh, for asking that question. But, Second one, any word on how Isaac Garendo, who was a true freshman last year and played in four games, uh fared last year if he you know, if he was moved to wide receiver or stayed at running back and if he could vie for third down or two minute offense carries. Good question. I checked the game notes from the Pinstripe Bowl and I have not heard anything else, but he is back at wide receiver. He was at wide you know, he was basically A, if I'm not mistaken, he was listed as an athlete for National Signing Day 2018,
1: and then, but they played him at at Avon,
0: right? Yeah, uh, in Avon, Indiana, for Avon High School, and then he played running back. He has got a great track background, and he during fall camp he got some running back looks. I remember taking pictures of him doing drills with John Settles' group, and then. All of a sudden, we started seeing him more at wide receiver. And at the time, he was still technically a wide receiver. So I'd asked the UW official, I go, hey, did Gerendo change? And he had told me that, you know, essentially they didn't really look at these, weren't necessarily position changes. He's working with this group. Essentially, from what it made up it be, is like if he's working with this group, he's going to be likely this position player. Uh, at that he's going to play at that position. And so they officially changed him to wide receiver, you know, uh and you saw that in the game notes from the 2018 Pinstripe ball. So he is back at wide receiver. I'm interested in seeing how they use him. Uh he won't be if he's back at wide receiver, he won't be used for necessarily a third down if you're talking about 11 personnel out of shotgun or or two-minute off offense carries. I would say in the typical how Wisconsin's used the a two-minute drill where we see, saw it with Joel Stavi and Bart Houston and Alex Hortybrook where it's predominantly out of 11 personnel in the shotgun, two, three wide receivers, a tight end. Tight ends usually split out. And sometimes you've seen the twins look on both sides of the field there. I would be interested in seeing him potentially I mean, in, as a third down backer, you have to learn. You have to know how to block, and that's why you saw Garrett Groshek. I think he was probably the best blocker out of that position group. That's why he got so much playing time in that type of personnel look uh, uh, in that third down or two minute drill um, personnel. But I would say, and, and let me you know your thoughts. I mean, I, I'm intrigued by Garendo's speed. Owen, I like. The, you, know, you, you saw the speed in, in the huddle film. Didn't get a chance to really look at him a lot during fall camp because he wasn't in, in spring camp. He didn't enroll early last year. And you saw some of the speed there, but I, you want to see. But it was also that running back where he had a great carry out of 11 personnel. I remember this now in August last year. He looked good that way, but you know it was only one practice, another thing to mind you there. But I, I want to see a combination of the speed, but also... I would say like, you know, like uh, catching the ball. I remember one practice he didn't catch the ball like on one play particularly well. And again, it was just one practice, but I think he's going to be as a wide receiver more. And and I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he can do as a retro freshman in special teams. If he can break through and do something on special teams as well, which they haven't confirmed anything. This is more maybe wishful thinking or, you know, this is speculation, but if he can use that speed on a kickoff return, Or punt return, that could be something special. But for the offense, long story short, there's still a lot to be seen, but from what it looks like, and we haven't seen any positional changes, we haven't heard about any positional changes, I think Grendel stays at wide receiver. We'll see how he can break through. It may not be this year, maybe next year, in my opinion, because you have A.J. Taylor leaving after next year, if he doesn't have an injury, because he hasn't burned his redshirt yet. But Uh, I think maybe the year after could be a bigger year for him. But I think his career will be as a wide receiver, and we'll see what goes from there.
1: Yeah, I think last year putting him at camp, I think, was more of a result of them just having so many receivers. And they're like, well, let's see what Isaac can do at running back. He's got this game-breaking speed, and he's significantly thicker than Aaron Cruikshank is. So, But like other than that, I don't think – at least preliminarily they ever had a ton of intention to play him at running back, like as a real position to answer Bill's question. I don't think he'll ever be the two minute back. Um, like you said, just from a, from a past pro standpoint, it, it's not an easy thing to learn. And a lot of guys struggle to do it. And while Wisconsin has been pretty, since Chris got to Wisconsin, it's been pretty clear. He likes having a separate guy for third down stuff. Um, Obviously, they would take Corey Clement off the field for Dare Agumboale, and while those are both NFL guys, Corey Clement is the third down running back for the Philadelphia Eagles and won a Super Bowl as a rookie. So clearly him being taken off the field wasn't any type of indictment on his ability. Rather, it was a way to get Dare on the field. And while we haven't seen a ton of Jonathan Taylor as a, as a a pass pro back, Garrett Groshek has been that third down back. So I think that's kind of the... The maybe the, the more noteworthy trend is that Chris really likes using a separate guy for that role. Um, but, he, but to answer, again, back to Bill's question, Isaac Garendo is a receiver. Unfortunately for, like, all of the young receivers, there's just no way to the field. Um, if you look at the roster, obviously they've got A.J. Taylor and Kendrick Pryor. Dan and obviously Quintez Cephas is still fairly fluid. Um, I know the trial was adjourned for him.
0: You met with, by the way, with Cephas, it, his trial was delayed, not adjourned, right? Yeah, I mean, you meant it was delayed until, or they said it was put off due to, because it wasn't, quote, it wasn't, what was that?
1: Right for trial. It wasn't ripe for trial, quote unquote. Right,
0: yeah, that's according to one of the reports there, I think it was from WKOW. Um,
1: but even aside from Cephas, you've got AJ Taylor, Kentrell, or excuse me. A.J. Taylor, Kendrick Pryor, Danny Davis, Jack Dunn, Eric Crookshank, Aaron Cruikshank, and Adam Crumholes and Taj Mustafa, who have all seen the field prior as, a, as receivers in this position group. And as you mentioned, A.J. Taylor is the only one at least scheduled to leave through graduation. So if things remain the way they are, or at least projected to be have been, after the 2019 season, Isaac Garendo projects to be like wide receiver eight. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and really, a lot of these guys are waiting for the, that older group to leave. And as it, it out of a out of a dynamic as that can be, it's really a bit of a waiting game. So I expect a lot of those guys to try to find their way on the field by special teams. Whether it's, um, you know, Crookshank's been the kick returner and Jack Dunn's been the punt returner think if i remember correctly garendo took snaps at both of them no. during camp last year correct me if I'm wrong. i kind of talked about as a potential return guy with that speed and that's something where he might have a chance to get on the field because as a running back i don't think the path is really there and as a traditional receiver there's just simply so many bodies in front of him uh While his speed is incredibly enticing and maybe he finds a way on the field like Crookshank did as a speed sweep guy. If Crookshank's role as a receiver, a pure receiver increases, then maybe Garendo could potentially find his way into that small niche. But realistically, I think like 2020 is probably your best bet to really finding or 2021 even uh, finding a lot of these guys getting significant time Taj Mustafa, Cade Green, Emmett Perry, A.J. Abbott, and Grendo, I think, are all guys. And then you've got Stephen Bracy and Cam Phillips, uh, who are coming in this year. Phillips is an early enrollee as a walk-on, and, and Bracy was the only scholarship receiver brought in this year. So, to be honest, it's, it's a, an embarrassment of riches for Wisconsin at the position. Unfortunately, it's a very tough way to have that position constructed just because there aren't a ton of opportunities. Uh, to go around as far as on the field until at least AJ Taylor leaves. And, and like I said, even really the year after that uh, with prior Davis Dunn, and Crumholes all being uh, junior status. So Isaac Grendo has, I don't think he probably sees the field this year or maybe even the next one as odd as that sounds. And that to be fair, that's a good thing. That means that there are more talented players at the, like, or players at least that, Established, developed, and contributing there. Uh, Like I said, it's wide receiver. This is a a very uncharted territory for Wisconsin to have this much talent at wide receiver. So, in particular, scholarship guys—they've got like eleven scholarship receivers. So that's a lot, and they bring they bring them in for a reason. Unfortunately, only so many of them are going to play, and with Garendo kind of where he's at unless he really jettisons a few of these older guys, I, I don't really see a way for him on the field, at least this year or or even maybe next year.
0: And Grandel's going to have to do that. He did not, I checked uh, my fall camp reports, he did not take any special teams work in terms of kickoff or punt returning. So that'll be something to watch possibly this year. Uh, I know Alex Smith was pretty fast as well as a cornerback. I think he did some return work. Uh, back in uh, California during his prep days. So we'll see how those two could possibly fit in. So, uh, but yeah, again, it's going to be a log jam and I, yeah. And I think you hit it better too own on that. There is a log jam there. Maybe we'll see how it all plays out, but it, it, in spring, and we saw this too. And uh, with Garendo really, there are a bunch of injuries this past year where, you saw a lot of the wide receivers out where that's where Eric Crookshank got a lot of his reps. Taj Mustafa got a bunch of reps during spring ball. You know, Cade Green and Emmett Perry did not have the opportunity because they were injured for a good portion of those spring balls, spring ball. Danny Davis uh, was injured for a part of it. Uh, You know, AJ Taylor was the only main contributor from the 2018 season that really worked during the spring, during the spring. And you saw Like I said, Crookshank got a little bit of time, uh, Jack Dunn got a little bit of time. So spring ball will be good to help progress those guys. We'll see just how if are some players sit during spring. We'll see. Uh, but re- this is a time where the players will have to step up and they'll have, you know, this will be their time to learn playbook and, and show what they can do because spring reps is that opportunity for them to springboard, not to be punny, but it springs board into reps during fall camp. If they can show that they can master what they're learning during those 15 practices between March and April. So, uh, on that note, we're, we're running a little over, uh, which is fine. And we, you know, our last question before we wrap up the show, Owen, our good friend Ebo from 96.7, 1670 AM the zone here in Madison host co-host of the Joe and Ebo show in the mornings and good friend of ours asks for both of us, how handsome will this episode sound? I will ask you, Owen, how handsome have we sounded so far?
1: I mean, first of all, thank you to Ebo, my man, uh, the homie. Um, I mean, I don't mean to brag, but I'm pretty good looking. So (laughs) I guess I can't speak for you, Jake. That would be up to our listening audience. But I think we uh, have sounded very handsome.
0: I agree. Uh, I did mention on Twitter, I got a haircut yesterday. And though you can't see it on this podcast, I feel pretty handsome. I think we've sounded, we've answered questions pretty handsomely as well. So this is a, uh, so we've we got a handsome amount of questions. Yeah, we got a handsome amount of, yeah, very much. And some very handsome questions. Yes. A handsome amount of handsome questions here on this podcast. So thank you all. And like I said, this is a chance for us to build the community. We want you guys to continue to answer or to send these away. We want to answer them to the best of our abilities. Uh, and obviously coming up during spring ball, I think during spring ball, we'll do a lot more of these Q and A's, uh, more mailbag questions. Uh, we'll do another in a couple of weeks. Maybe we'll do uh, we'll do a scouting combine specific mailbag, and we'll ask people for your opinion. Since you obviously went down to Mobile, saw guys like Bo Benchwall, Michael Dieter, Alec Ingold play in the Senior Bowl and practice during those Senior Bowl practices. So we'll we'll do that next week, more specifically, and what your thoughts are about the combine going forward. But other than that, man, great show. Appreciate your time as always, brother. Tell the good people that listen to this podcast where to find us.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you all for listening. Obviously, we uh, can't do this without you. Uh, And also thank you to the SB Nation's team brands for adopting us and uh, allowing us to expand our platform here a bit. So for sure, obviously, if you're listening to us already, um, you know that. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else uh, that you can find uh, podcasts uh, available. Um, Those are where we can find us. Tell your friends uh tell the people that don't like you uh tell your family members everybody five star reviews only help us improve here tell us what you like what you don't like about the show um and thank you very much as always for for coming along with the ride we uh like i said we can't do this without you it's a lot of fun and uh we're just getting started here on Bucky bucky's podcast so again five star reviews only tell everyone you know that we're very handsome uh and to uh listen to the show, download the show. And uh, like I said, tell us what you like and don't like, so we can make this better for y'all.
0: Yeah. We just added by the way to uh, Spotify stitcher, uh, which is another pod- podcast platform and both Google play and Google podcast as well. So we are lined up. We got, like I said, anywhere you find podcasts, we're here. Let us know too reviews, what type of reviews they'll own
1: five star reviews only. Exactly. Dot com.
0: Ex- exactly. Uh, for that note, uh, for Owen Reese, for Jay Kokorowski and me, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week on Bucky's Fifth Podcast.